This is Aspire, Arc Street Public Radio, a content-driven platform broadcasting interviews from our Innovate, Innovate Media, Innovate CSR, and Innovate Under 30 podcast series. Aspire gives public voice to socially conscious and forward-thinking leaders within the nonprofit and for-profit sectors, academia, journalism, and social entrepreneurship. My name is Robert Rim, Managing Editor for Arch Street Press. I'll be your host today. Today our guest is Liz Ma, CEO of Net Impact, a leading nonprofit that empowers a new generation to use their careers to drive transformational change in the workplace and the world. At the heart of Net Impact's community are over 60,000 student and professional leaders from over 300 volunteer-led chapters across the globe working for a sustainable future. Liz received a BA with honors from Yale University and an MBA from Columbia Business School and the Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley. Before joining Net Impact, Liz provided strategic consulting to nonprofits with the Bridgespan Group. She was also involved with fundraising and direct marketing for nonprofit organizations in New York City and Washington. Since Liz joined Net Impact as CEO in 2004, the organization has tripled its chapter network to more than 300 formed partnerships with over 50 global corporations, and developed multiple new programs that engage students and professionals in sustainability. Liz is a frequent speaker and writer, with blogs appearing in the Stanford Social Innovation Review, Huffington Post, Green Biz, and World Economic Forum, which recognized Liz as a young global leader in 2010. The following year, she was named one of the 100 most influential people in business ethics by Ethisphere. Liz is a board member of the World Environment Center. Liz, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Robert. Did you have any childhood experiences that led to your interest in fundraising and working for nonprofits? When I was growing up, I did a lot of volunteer work in my hometown in Washington, D.C., and I think from an early age was able to appreciate that giving back to others who are less fortunate is uh, a, a really important thing to do and also a very meaningful thing to do. So as I was in college and as a recent college graduate, I really couldn't imagine anything else that I'd want to do besides social change work. Did that make you unique among your friends or were your peers, uh, the people that you, who grew, you grew up with, uh, did they kind of feel the same way or were you somewhat separate in that regard? I was somewhat separate. I, I do have a number of friends who went into the medical field, which is also, of course, giving back. Uh, but I don't have very many friends who went into social change and, and nonprofit organizations. Hmm. Not quite sure why that is. <laughs> and were there experiences growing up, uh, or perhaps as a student yourself, that led to your commitment to helping students? When I was in my 20s, I had some really interesting first jobs, including at an anti-poverty organization in New York. And in being able to look closely at the root causes of poverty, it really made me think about the broad systemic levers of change that one can employ in order to make big change. Because you know, volunteering or, or serving as a soup kitchen and, and helping people on a one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes a band-aid approach is important, but if we can really figure out what are the underlying forces for change that can really drive impact, I was, I was interested in that. And, and really there's no bigger change lever in my mind that you could pull than taking an entire generation of talented young people and trying to push them forward in ways that can help make a positive difference in social and environmental causes. Did, do you find that, uh, say, in the current generation, 
the inclination to look beyond themselves, to look outward, is actually more prominent? There's some really interesting mixed data on the millennial generation, which is roughly people in their 20s. Uh, there's some data that shows that they are more inclined to uh, be aware of social environmental issues. And then there's other data that shows that in some ways their civic participation actually isn't any better. Their, their voting rates, for example, are not any better than, than previous generations at their age. So I think it's a complicated story and people love to, you know, go to sort of black and white understandings. But um, in my experience, what's really special about this young generation is um, they are given so much information at their fingertips and so many tools for getting connected and getting involved um, that they really have, you know, social change world at their, at their disposal to input on. Whereas before, you you know, you were limited in how you got your information and how you could connect with people. Um, these days, a young person can learn about anything they want um, with their handheld device, and they can get engaged in numerous causes with the click of their finger. So there's there's really great opportunities for them to get engaged. Yeah, and it's wonderful to recognize that aspect of it. Um, and getting back to your education, how did your own education help to shape your career? Was it an intentional course of study? Uh, well, I don't know how intentional I was at age of 18, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how few are, right? Yeah. I, I think that, you know, when I was in college, I, I loved the fact that I could take the courses that were most interesting to me, and I took a number of sociology courses and um, African-American history and studies courses and, uh, you know, different courses that let me learn more about problems in society and opportunities and, and got me, you know, thinking about... Uh, the kind of citizen I wanted to be. Uh, I think that liberal arts education often gets some criticism for not being quite as uh, helpful to young people in, in a career path. Um, but in, in my case, I graduated from school and I had a, a great education in terms of being able to think holistically about society. And I was able to turn that into a, a meaningful career. And what was your work like with the Bridge Band Group, uh, fundraising for nonprofit organizations in New York City and Washington, D.C.? Yeah, so my first few jobs were focused on fundraising and marketing for organizations. And then the Bridge Band was, was after my MBA, and that is a strategic consulting firm. Um, and all, all the jobs I had before Net Impact were really wonderful building blocks uh, to help me learn how to be an effective nonprofit leader. Um, as you know, Robert, fundraising is a critical tool for nonprofits um, in order to help us grow and flourish. So that was uh, really important for me to learn. And then at Bridgeband, learning how to do nonprofit strategy was also critical because there's so many opportunities for nonprofits out there, certainly for net impact that is true, um, that one can often get overwhelmed with all the different directions one can go in and then not get anything done. Um, and strategy is all about making the right priorities and trade-offs and, and really trying to move the needle in the ways that you can the most. And, and Bridgeband was incredibly helpful for that. So many nonprofits, though, rather than being overwhelmed with the opportunities in front of them, actually seem to struggle and not recognize those abundant opportunities. Why do you think that is? There's always emergencies. There's always fires that need to be put out. Um, even making payroll for many organizations, especially smaller ones, can be very stressful and requires bending over backwards. What I find is helpful is always thinking about what are my short-term top three priorities, but what are also my one to two year big priorities? You know, what are the things I have to do now that will mean in a, in a year or two we can really move forward? And so I think that nonprofit organizations uh, can 
just really needed to carve time out in order to keep the big picture in place. And, and that's, you know, really helpful to, to keep moving forward. And for potential leaders, uh, how did your work uh, with Bridgespan, uh, in fact, lead to your current role with NetImpact? Well, a couple ways. I think skill set wise, uh, Bridgeman taught me uh, amazing things about nonprofit uh, efficiency, effectiveness, and strategy. And so it gave me an immense skill set that I needed uh, for my current role. Um, in addition, I think that uh, Bridgeman gave me um, a great opportunity to do some pro bono work on the side, um, which was actually doing a strategic plan for my current organization. And so that was a great way for me to get to know the people, the staff and board at Net Impact, which then uh, made it much easier for me to actually get my role at Net Impact. So I think that uh, for any aspiring leader, if you can carve out time to either you know from your current job or on the nights and weekends to do a meaningful skills-based project at an organization that you like, it's it's a really great opportunity to um, help you move forward. And it's wonderful to recognize the benefit of that, uh, obviously not only personally but looking outward. And Net Impact believes in mobilizing people to dedicate more time on the job to making an impact. So how does the organization itself work to make this happen? Net Impact, one of um, our key uh, ways we're set up is through a volunteer-led chapter base. We have um, somewhere between 250 and 300 chapters each year. And those chapters are led by amazing volunteers who really want to support their communities, their fellow students, or their fellow professionals to drive positive change. As a central organization, we have a dedicated team to support those chapters, um, meaning they help the chapter leaders think about how they're going to run events and recruit members. Um, very importantly, to think about how to help the chapter leaders learn from each other because there's so many great events going on in our network. So we try to uncover the, the highlights and share those more broadly. And then we also have programs that we run out from our central headquarters, almost, you know, sort of programs or events in a box, if you will, that the chapters can easily adapt and run locally as well to, to help save our busy, busy volunteer leaders some, some time. And so do, you, do, oh, you find, yeah, do you find that there's a profile, say a commonality uh, among chapter leaders as far as what they're like on a, on a personal level, maybe on a, uh, on a career level? Right. I mean, that's the right question. I mean, certainly demographically, our chapter leaders are all over the board. Um, but in terms of sort of what they're really like at the core, they're all very, very motivated and inspired individuals who want to change the world. And they want to do that now through being a leader locally, and then they also want to do that in the future. They have, they're all very dedicated to going on with careers that will, that will drive change, whether that's from a big company or a, a small organization. And what's it like, uh, both for the chapter leaders and for you to support such a wide variety of groups and causes? Net Impact is, has always been an organization that, that wants to serve our community and help them figure out what, what is their passion. Do they want to go into the environment or international development? Do they want to do that through creating a small business or through going to work at a large company or NGO? And so because of that, there are truly a, a great many different career paths and issues that we cover. At the same time, what we've decided to do for this year is to focus a little bit more on three major issues that we see as ones that our network can engage on in a more, in a deeper way and move the needle on. So for the first time in our 24-year history this year, we are calling our network to action on um, some specific issues. Those issues are food systems, climate change, and racial equity. 
and we're really excited to see what the network will do to help to make a difference on those really important issues. And Net Impact works with both student and professional leaders. So what are the differences uh, that you found in working with the two? We work with undergraduates, uh, graduate students, and professionals. And the students, um, the student chapters and students have the Net Impact experience really built in. When you're a student, it's expected that you'll have time for clubs, at least if you're a full-time student. And it's, um, it's a great opportunity to take time out of life, if you will, and really think and explore about what you're going to do next. For the professionals, they're busy, they're working, some of them have families, they've got responsibilities, and uh, it's harder for them sometimes to make the time. But that said, it's still amazing what the professionals are able to accomplish through their events. Um, so really, you have to be aware of these different stages of life that people are in. Uh, I would also add that our graduate students and our professionals um, can be a little bit more career focused. They're, they're pretty interested in their career path and finding their next job. And sometimes our younger students, our college students, are a little bit more interested in exploring and they haven't really thought about their, their jobs and careers that much and they're, they're in it more for the, the social change aspect. And just on the professional level, do you find that the work with Net Impact is is stimulating in a way that feeds on itself, that provides further energy and inclination, in fact, to devote to Net Impact and its projects. Absolutely, we we get countless comments every year from professionals about how, for example, the Net Impact Conference is the most inspiring few days of their year, and that they come to the conference to be reinvigorated. Uh, our conference takes place once a year in a different location. It's in Seattle this November 5th through 7th. And it's it's different from other conferences because there is a heavy youth or young person component. You've got lots of people in their 20s. And there's thus just an optimism and a can-do attitude and excitement that sometimes is missing from other conferences that might have people who are a little bit more jaded, who've been doing things for longer and don't quite um, see the opportunities in the same way. So our conference certainly is a great example of, of inspiring professionals to, to keep fighting the good fight. Sure. And how do you get that across to professionals who may in fact be jaded or maybe in looking for an opportunity to serve but not sure where to go? How do you get across what you just described? Well, the, the conference experience is um, does that work for us. It's got tremendous inspiring speakers who really let down their guard. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing to see some big corporate executives and, and other folks like that just just talk to the audience like they're talking to their, their friends or their their your children or something like that. Um, it's, it's a really special, intimate experience usually. Um, so the speakers deliver that kind of inspiring message. And then the, the networking and the, the community workshops that we have where people can get their hands dirty and really think about how to solve an issue also gets in, integrates folks as well. Um, so we deliver that in our conference, and then our chapters do a fantastic job throughout the year of trying to replicate that through local events and activities as well. And it is invigorating to get our hands dirty, isn't it? Mm, it is, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. How does Net Impact provide career resources to job seekers and specifically help them to find employment? Part of that is through our website. We have career resources on our website, including a job and internship board. Uh, and a big part of that is through the network. This is, you know, through Net Impact, through your chapter, through our conference, and other ways you can meet other people who want to change the world and want to help you do that. Um, and that can often be a great lead to, to jobs and careers. 
This Innovate series features dialogue with some of the most influential advocates for changing our world, from the CEOs and founders of major nonprofits to the directors of cultural and academic institutions. Innovate demonstrates the vital role of empathy as an agent for that change. Innovate and Aspire are produced in partnership with Ashoka, Innovators for the Public, the Kellogg Fellows Leadership Alliance, and the Philadelphia Social Innovations Journal, and presented by Arch Street Press and the Public Radio Exchange. We now return to our Innovate interview with Managing Editor Robert Rim and Liz Ma, CEO of Net Impact. And in looking at your website, uh, Net Impact partners with forward-thinking businesses and nonprofits, which is really wonderful to recognize. Uh, these are organizations and people who really want to engage in meaningful ways with next-generation leaders on campus throughout their careers. Uh, who are some of your funders, and, and how do you work together? Yeah, we probably have on average 40 to 50 funders a year, and they are companies, corporate foundations, and sometimes traditional foundations that um, are really involved with net impact because they see that net impact is a way for them to make form of connections, meaningful connections with young people. Uh, we have a really big variety of funders. We have um, some funders that are very mission-minded. Um, for example, Happy Family, which is this great organic baby food company. Um, and, you know, that's a great company. But then we also have traditional food companies. We have Coke. We have Monsanto. We have other companies that, you know, aren't in that organic space. And we, we do that very purposely. We want to bring these unlikely bedfellows together to the table. And the reason for that is that we don't believe that social change, that, that dramatic and transformational social change can happen um, if you exclude major sectors of the conversation. So what we will do, for example, is uh, at the conference recently, we had a Monsanto executive on stage with a um, activist who was not um, particularly in favor of many of Monsanto's agricultural principles. And they had a discussion about um, their different views on agriculture and brought things to the table. And that, you know, without taking a side, that's exactly what we like to encourage is these um, different conversations on how change can happen. And do you find that in your work with corporations, there's actually an increased awareness and dedication to CSR uh, corporate social responsibility. Is that something that you've you've typically noticed or is that kind of level? It's absolutely been increasing over the past 10 years. Um, you know, companies wouldn't be involved in that impact unless they were interested in CSR and sustainability because they are coming to us in part to recruit their workforce and they know that people who they meet through that impact are going to want to come and they're going to want to improve the company and drive positive change. Um, so absolutely companies today are really knowledgeable about corporate responsibility and sustainability and how critical that is to their long-term success. Um, that said, we certainly do have um, some ways to go as a society. There are still many opportunities for, for companies to continue to lead in this area and for more companies to take bold leadership act actions. And we are hopeful that Net Impact and our events and our community is, is helping to drive that forward. I'm sure it is helping to drive that, and, and there's no question that um, when they recognize the benefits to themselves in addition to society in being able to recruit the, uh, the best workers in, in making a real contribution, and after a certain point, you know, how much money is enough? 
uh, a lot of these companies, they have shareholders, and so they have to report, and obviously they have obligations, but uh, there's a bigger picture that can, in fact, uh, feed into the bottom line. Have you found that as well? Absolutely. I think that the many companies have a view on shared value, if you're familiar with that, yes. um, that yeah. term. And really, to me, that is the ideal. When a company sees their very reason for being as producing not just shareholder returns, but shared value for society. I think there are companies like Unilever that have really taken a progressive, forward-looking stand and have said, we are about shared value and we are going to show that throughout you know, as many of our product lines as possible. And we're hoping that more and more companies will make that kind of a public declaration and uh, emphasize the importance of the social and environmental work um, like Unilever has. Yeah. And, and there are many organizations uh, worldwide organizations, multi-billion-dollar uh, sales and assets like uh, like IKEA, which has established the IKEA Foundation, or Vanguard, uh, the investment firm, which is uh, has its Vanguard Charitable, which has become one of the nation's largest charities. For them to be able to recognize that, uh, it's uh, it's really terrific to be able to see and and the impact that they themselves make. Absolutely, and IKEA is doing some great work with climate change, and um, having companies like them involved in such important issues is, is really critical. Yeah, and how would you describe your experience with uh, specifically empathy through net impact? Our, well, I haven't done a scientific study on our, our members and empathy. I'm, I'm sure that our members and our community is a very empathetic group. Uh, the, you know, we have people in our community who could be going out there and making tons and tons of money and being highly successful in a sort of traditional for-profit career path, but they are choosing to make sure that their career and their, their life is really spent addressing problems that will help other people, which is, in my mind, the most empathetic thing you can do. In, indeed, and not generally the subject of scientific studies, huh, Liz? Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and what challenges uh, have you faced uh, at Net Impact, uh, and how have you addressed them? There are so many challenges. I don't know how much time we have, but I think that one of the challenges has been to ensure that we are prioritizing the right way. Uh, Net Impact has so many opportunities, and I must get emails or calls every week with some great new program idea from someone um, that there we, there are really so many different directions we can point and we have spent a lot of time as a staff and as a board engaging our, our chapter leaders in this conversation on where we want to hang our hat and most focus our resources. Um, so that's that's been an exciting intellectual challenge uh, to to do every few years as we try to keep current with what the needs are out there. I think that fundraising is always a challenge um, for every social sector organization uh, because the needs and opportunities are so great um, and there's limited funding out there. So certainly that that's a challenge as well. But you know these are challenges that are exciting and, and workable and, and achievable too. And have you found it uh, relatively easy or relatively difficult to recruit the best workers uh, at Net Impact? I would say that we have been really lucky with recruiting an amazing team. There are certainly certain positions that are harder than others. Um, for example, um, fundraising positions can be hard to fill, but we have a just phenomenal fundraising team right now. 
Um, also, marketing and web positions, especially here in the Bay Area, where we're, um, you know, we're competing with with Facebook and Apple for talent. It's 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 hard to get the right people sometimes on the salary scale that we pay compared to those other groups. Um, but that said, we have a just tremendous team right now, and have continued to be able to attract great people. And is crowdfunding part of your uh, repertoire of uh, fundraising? You know, not yet, but that has certainly come up as something that we're interested in. So maybe, maybe someday soon. Mm -hmm. Good. And uh, you mentioned the Bay Area. Do you get uh, political support? Do you do you find uh, that that's tangible, or is that uh, kind of in the background? Is it overt? How would you how would you characterize that? Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, historically, we haven't been as public sector oriented, uh, and we haven't dove into policy as much, but I, I do think that, that might change. As, as we're talking about our future, we do see uh, political spheres as areas that we might start to dip toes in a little bit, so stay tuned on that one. <laughs> okay, will do. Uh, and uh, looking toward the future, uh, what does it hold for Net Impact? Uh, perhaps upcoming projects, goals that you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure. Well, we're really excited about some of our new initiatives for this year. I, I briefly mentioned we're rolling out some big new initiatives around racial equity, food systems, and climate change. And we'll be having our, our network across the country and across the world get involved in projects to address those issues. Um, so that's pretty new for us and is being uh, developed as we speak, but lots of exciting progress there. Um, another initiative that we're really excited about is to uh, do more to diversify our community. Our legacy is actually an MBA program, so we've got a strong MBA component, which is fabulous. Uh, but we'd like to bring in some other skills and disciplines, engineering folks, design folks, um, art as well, math and science, uh, because we believe that all those skill sets working together are the, the biggest way to make change. We're also really interested in bringing in um, greater racial and socioeconomic diversity. Our, our racial diversity is okay right now, but we think we can do better. And socioeconomically, um, we can do a lot better. We're looking at um, how we can work with lower income communities and perhaps community colleges and, and really trying to make sure that all the voices um, that are relevant are in the net impact conversation. Do you find that, uh, that those uh, low income communities and colleges are in fact receptive to your message? There's receptivity, yes, um, but we're not there yet. We're probably about 10% of the way we need to be. Um, I think with some of our new initiatives around topics like racial equity, we'll find more opportunity to be relevant to different populations in the future. And given your goals, it would seem a natural uh, collaborative initiative. Absolutely, yes. We have a number of partners that we're already talking to um, for our programs because we we don't see these efforts as just net impact programs. It's more that how can we convene the right folks to engage with our population and move things forward. And how does social media help with these goals you've described? Social media is a phenomenal way to engage people and have them learn about you. Um, for us, social media is a great way to bring new voices into the conversation and then hopefully they will um, get even more involved and join our chapters and participate in our programs. Um, so our social media effort is um, doing very well and uh, also an area that we want to continue to build over the next few years. And just shifting uh, gears for a moment, you're a board member of the World Environment Center, and I wonder if you could share with our listeners the organization's mission uh, and how you became involved with it. 
Sure. The World Environment Center is based in Washington, D.C., and uh, I'm not going to get their mission statement right verbatim, um, but they work with a number of uh, leading companies um, to mobilize and support them on environmental leadership. Um, they bring together a really phenomenal group of companies and provide best practices and resources and thought forums for them to move forward environmentally. Uh, so they are doing uh, important work to help companies continue to push themselves forward when it comes to environment or environmental issues. And how, uh, did, how did you become involved with them? I got to know them a few years ago when we worked on a project together, and then um, their their great CEO, Terry Yossi, decided um, that it would be helpful to engage me even further as the organization looks towards how they can also better engage with young people. Um, so that's how I, I formally joined the board. And how can uh, other nonprofits look outward to secure board members for themselves? Uh, people like you uh, who are outward looking, uh, have a, an international perspective. Is, is there some way that they can uh, more effectively recruit people like you to become part of their organizations? Yes, I would say um, definitely have some ideas on do's and don'ts based on my own experience, but I would say what doesn't work is just cold outreach out of the blue. The person's never heard of you and you just ask them to join your board, um, What which actually happens, um, which, which does work is more of a thoughtful cultivation effort. So maybe you invite someone to an event or you um, can get them on your newsletter list, of course, without spamming them and you get to know them in some way. Um, and then get them excited about your mission um, and then you know be really thoughtful about what their value add is. In, in my experience running a board as well as being on one, people always want to feel helpful. And so if there's a way you can connect a person's specific skill set and experience with a need you have, then that can be a win-win for a board member. And that, and that phrase that you use, thoughtful cultivation, that applies to so many things in life, doesn't it, Liz? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yes. And what advice would you offer to young social entrepreneurs uh, and those seeking to become involved with nonprofits, perhaps uh, at the beginning of their careers uh, and they're trying to make decisions like this? One piece of advice I would have would be that it's a marathon and not a sprint. Uh, many young people, I feel, feel like their first job af after college has to be the answer to their career, and it really doesn't. It's a, it's a building block, and you know your career is a long, long journey that you can you can use strategically to make a difference. Um, so taking things slowly and really focusing on building skills in the early part of your career makes a lot of sense. Um, but then I would also say to you know be really bold and ambitious. Um, we need big change in the world. We can't be the kind of society we want with just incremental change and, and young people have um, the right mindset to drive big transformative ideas um, and people will not believe you can do it and they'll be pessimists and hole pokers wherever you go but if you just stay um, stay with your big ideas and have confidence that you can make a difference um, it will be amazing what will happen. And it sounds like you promote portfolio type careers rather than what was typical, say, a generation or two ago, like 50 years at IBM, and then you get a nice retirement package and a watch. Right. Absolutely. I think that you know many jobs are best as, as stepping stones, where you're going to learn something, contribute, and then you change, and the organization changes, and you move on. And that's not a bad thing. I don't, I don't think that people should feel um, terrible either as the boss or the employee if people move on, because really this is about kind of a long-term 
impact person who's going to drive change over time. And um, just one more question, kind of a big picture question about curiosity. Uh, it's, it's always fascinating to recognize people who seem to have an intrinsic uh, curiosity, a desire to learn. And you talk to people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and it's like talking to people in their 20s. They're so engaged, mm -hmm. they're alive, they're active. And then other people seem to uh, kind of flatline at, at maybe age 40, age 50. And, uh, and then it seems to be a slow decline from there. Have you seen that uh, in your own life? And, and uh, do you have any um, perhaps explanation for, for this kind of behavior that seems to be pretty stark difference among people? That's a, that's a very true point, Robert. I have noticed that difference and can think of people who, who fall in both camps. Uh, and thinking of the folks I know who are more on the curious end of things, one thing I observe about them is that they're they're changing things around. They're they're living in different places. They're having new experiences, whether that's travel or um, hobbies, or they're getting involved in nonprofits, and they're they're staying vibrant. Um, so perhaps that's one trick to to staying curious is just putting yourself in new situations where you'll be delighted by the new things that you see and learn. And also, I think uh, looking outward definitely has a point to play in that, doesn't it? Looking beyond mm. oneself. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Terrific. Well, Liz, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Robert. The best way to reach Liz and to support Net Impact is through netimpact.org. Uh, click on the webpage links above this podcast for further details. Thank you for joining us today. Our library of interviews and a range of further resources may be found at archstreetpress.org or prx.org.